Chapter 7 of Tea and Tea Drinking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed. The Friends and the Foes of Tea. A Learned Dutchman's Opinion of Tea. 200 cups a day recommended. Tea, the universal panacea. Tea merchants greedy as hell. Degeneracy of the race through tea drinking. Appeal to women. Tea, a slow poison. Experiment upon a dog. John Wesley's attack upon tea. Why he preached against it. Dr. Letsom's thesis. Accuses tea of leading to intemperance. The essential principle of tea. The value of experiments upon animals. Tea drinking among women the anti-teapot society, the benefits of tea drinking, Dr. Richardson's condemnation, the dean of Bangor as a joker, life without stimulants, Dr. Poor's description of the good and bad effects of tea drinking, injurious to children, a properly controlled appetite, the safest guide. Like tobacco, tea received on its introduction very different treatment by different people. It was extravagantly praised by some and extravagantly denounced by others. Some ascribe such sovereign virtues to this exotic, remarks one author, as if t'was able to eradicate or prevent the spring of all diseases. Others, on the contrary, are equally severe in their censures and impute the most pernicious consequences to it, accounting it no better than a slow but efficacious poison and a seminary of diseases. A learned Dutchman pronounced it the infallible cure for bad health and declared that if mankind could be induced to drink a sufficient quantity of it, the innumerable ills to which man is subject would not only be diminished, but entirely unknown. He went so far as to express his conviction that 200 cups daily would not be too much. It is scarcely surprising, therefore, to find the Dutch East India Company liberally rewarding this eloquent apostle of the new drink. Scarcely less enthusiastic was the professor of physic in a German university, who declared tea the defense against the enemies of health, the universal panacea which has long been sought for. This opinion, indeed, prevailed very extensively in the East. The following notice is copied from the Relation of the Voyage to Siam by six Jesuits in 1685. It is a civility amongst them to present betel and tea to all that visit them. Their own country supplies them with betel and erica, but they have their tea from China and Japan. All the Orientals have a particular esteem for it because of the great virtues they find to be in it. Their physicians say that it is a sovereign medicine against the stone and pains of the head, that it allays vapors, that it cheers the mind and strengthens the stomach. In all kinds of fevers, they take it stronger than commonly when they begin to feel the heat of the fit and then the patient covers himself up to sweat and it hath been very often found that this sweat wholly drives away the fever a similar belief in the virtues of opium existed until very recently in the minds of the people of the fen counties the enemies of tea appear to have been quite as active as its friends a german physician declared it a cause of dropsy and diabetes and the introducer of foreign diseases and he charged the merchants with inexpressible frauds calling them greedy as hell the vilest of usurers who lie in wait for men's purses and lives 
according to mr matthew williams drunkenness serves one useful purpose for it helps to get rid of the surplus population a french physician held similar views on the use of tea and coffee for writing at the close of the seventeenth century he expressed his belief that they are permitted by god's providence for the lessening the number of mankind by shortening life as a kind of silent plague coming down to more recent times the most remarkable production against tea appeared in seventeen twenty two the mind of the author seems to have been seriously disturbed at the prospect of the deterioration of the race which would inevitably follow indulgence in tea his treatise which is addressed to ladies is entitled an essay on the nature use and abuse of tea in a letter to a lady with an account of its mechanical operation london printed by j bettenham for james lacy at the ship between the two temple gates fleet street seventeen twenty two price one shilling this book contains some curious information about the diseases liable to follow the use of tea the author begins madam an earnest desire which all ages have shown to serve your sex will i hope be sufficient warrant for my troubling you with these papers to be assisting towards the preservation of that form and beauty with which god has adorned you is certainly a work not less pious than pleasant for while we indulge ourselves in our greatest pleasure which is to serve your sex would also show our love and gratitude to the almighty being whose form you so nearly represent and to whom we are so much indebted for the blessing we received when he gave man so agreeable and helpmate though the value which we ought to set on this blessing is a sufficient motive to us to endeavour by all means to dissuade you from anything which may be to your detriment yet there are other motives which oblige us to have a more particular regard to the health of your sex for when by any means you ignore your constitutions and impair your health though you yourselves suffer too severely for it yet the tragedy does not end here for the calamity is entailed on succeeding ages perhaps to the third and fourth generations the author then notes the fact that lycurgus thought the spartan women not in the least unworthy of his care and direction and proceeds to remark if this lawgiver lived in these our days what a mean opinion what a little hope would he have of the next age when the women of this age fell so very short of that regularity and healthy way of living which he looked on as necessary for the preservation of a state with what an uneasiness would he have seen the many errors which we daily commit errors which are introduced by luxury suffered through ignorance and supported by being fashionable he would soon have condemned the exorbitant use of tea and upon the first observing its ill effects would certainly have prohibited the importation of it but the present age has other considerations tea pays too great a duty and supports too many coaches not to be preferred to the health of the public tea has too great interest to be prohibited and i wish reason itself may be sufficient to dissuade the world from the use of it i must confess i have so little hope from these papers that though to me and some others who have had the perusal of them they seem just and satisfactory yet i should never have presented them to the public had i not thought it an indispensable duty to acquaint the world with the many disorders which may possibly arise from its too frequent use this worthy benefactor of his species contends that tea is a slow but sure poison and that it is not less destructive to the animal economy than opium 
or some other drugs which we have at present learned to avoid with more caution he does not deny that tea is useful as physic but lays down the following propositions which he endeavours to prove first that tea may attenuate the blood to any degree necessary to the production of any disease which may arise from too thin a state of the blood secondly that tea may depauper the blood or waste the spirits to any degree necessary to produce any disease which may arise from too poor a blood third that tea may bring on any degree whatsoever of a plethora necessary to the production of any disease which may arise from a plethoric state of body from an experiment upon a dog the author concludes that tea abounds with a lixiviate salt by whose assistance it attenuates the blood the author draws some terrible pictures of the evils of tea drinking but does not presume to dictate how his readers should act whether or not we ought to abandon the use of what may possibly be of so vast injury to us i leave to every reasonable man to judge having myself done the duty of a man and christian in warning them of what dangers they may fall into on the other hand thomas frost m d wrote a discourse on tea with plain and useful rules for gouty people in seventeen fifty in this he contended that a moderate use of tea of a due strength seems better adapted to the fair sex than men for they naturally being of a more lax and delicate make are more liable to a fullness of blood and juices as also because they have less exercise or head labours than which nothing braces better or gives the fibres a greater springiness and because they are less accustomed to drink wine whose astringency corrugates the fibres and enables the vessels to act with greater briskness and force so in some measure answers the end of the labour he holds that tea in a dietetic point of view seems in general not only harmless but very useful but considers it impossible to say beforehand with what healthy persons tea will disagree till they have used it where it disagrees it should immediately be left off for there is no altering or compelling a constitution however where it agrees it excels all other vegetables foreign or domestic for preventing sleepiness drowsiness or dullness and taking off weariness or fatigue raising the spirits safely corroborating the memory strengthening the judgment quickening the invention etc but then it should be drank moderately and in the afternoon chiefly and not made too habitual john wesley a few years later attacked the use of tea in seventeen forty eight he published a small tract letter to a friend concerning tea in which he accused tea of impairing digestion unstringing the nerves involving great and useless expense and in his own case and that of others inducing symptoms of paralysis but in the first instance he preached against tea not because he thought it injurious but because he wanted money the whole of the london methodists were at that time very poor the rev l tyerman in his life and times of the rev john wesley says the number of members in the london society on the twelfth of april seventeen forty six was one thousand nine hundred and thirty nine and the amount of their quarterly contributions a hundred and thirteen pounds nine shillings upon an average fourteen pence per member considering the high price of money and that nearly the whole of the london methodists were extremely poor 
the amount subscribed was highly creditable wesley also believed its use to be injurious he tells us that when he first went to oxford with an exceedingly good constitution and being otherwise in health he was somewhat surprised at certain symptoms of a paralytic disorder his hand shook especially after breakfast but he soon observed that if for two or three days he intermitted drinking tea the shaking ceased upon inquiry he found tea had the same effect upon others and particularly on persons whose nerves were weak this led him to lessen the quantity he took and to drink it weaker but still for above six-and-twenty years he was more or less subject to the same disorder in july seventeen forty six he began to observe that abundance of the people of london were similarly affected some of them having their nerves unstrung and their bodily strength decayed he asked them if they were hard drinkers they replied no indeed we drink scarce anything but a little tea morning and night having set the example of abstinence from tea wesley recommended the same abstinence to a few of his preachers and a week later to above a hundred of his people whom he believed to be strong in faith all of whom with two or three exceptions resolved by the grace of god to make the trial without delay in a short time he proposed it to the whole society objections rose in abundance some said tea is not unwholesome at all to these he replied that many eminent physicians had declared it was and that if frequently used by those of weak nerves it is no other than a slow poison others said tea is not unwholesome to me why then should i leave it off wesley answered to give an example to those to whom it is undeniably prejudicial and to have the more wherewith to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked others said it helps my health nothing else will agree with me to such wesley's caustic reply was i suppose your body is much of the same kind with that of your grandmother and do you think nothing else agreed with her or with any of her progenitors what poor puling sickly things must all the english then have been till within these hundred years besides if in fact nothing else will agree with you if tea has already weakened your stomach and impaired your digestion to such a degree it has hurt you more than you are aware you have need to abhor it as a deadly poison and to renounce it from this very hour what was the result of wesley's attempt to form a teetotal society we can hardly tell except that he himself abstained from tea for the next twelve years until dr fothergill ordered him to resume its use charles wesley began to abstain but how long his abstinence lasted we are not informed about one hundred of the london methodists followed the example of their leader and besides these a large number of others began to be temperate and to use less than they had previously this was to say the least adds mr tyerman an amusing episode in wesley's laborious life all must give him credit for the best and most benevolent intentions and it is right to add that ten days after his proposal was submitted to the london society he had collected among his friends thirty pounds for a lending stock and that this was soon made up to fifty by means of which before the year was ended above two hundred and fifty destitute persons had received acceptable relief the most noteworthy opponent after wesley was jonas hanway who in seventeen fifty six wrote a bulky volume under the title of 
a journal of eight days journey from portsmouth to kingston upon thames to which is added an essay on tea considered as pernicious to health obstructing industry and impoverishing the nation the effects of tea drinking formed the subject of dr letsom's inaugural thesis when he sought the medical doctorate of the university of leyden in seventeen sixty seven he accused tea of inducing excess in spirituous liquors by reason of the weakness and debility of the system brought on by the daily habit of drinking tea seeking a temporary relief in some cordial of producing in some excruciating pains about the stomach involuntary trembling and fluttering of the nerves destruction of half your teeth at the age of twenty without any hopes of getting new ones depression loss of memory tremblings and symptoms of paralysis and of bringing on a gradual debility and impoverished condition of the entire system tea contains an active principle called theme which according to dr sinclair was discovered so recently as eighteen twenty seven adopting one of the methods of the opponents of tobacco the enemies of tea concluded to be a deadly poison from its effect upon animals a new york dentist is reported to have boiled down a pound of young hyson tea from a quart to half a pint ten drops of which killed a rabbit three months old and when boiled down to one gill eight drops killed a cat of the same age in a few minutes think of it exclaims an opponent of tea most persons who drink tea use not less than a pound in three months and yet a pound of hyson tea contains poison enough to kill according to the above experiment more than seventeen thousand rabbits or nearly two hundred a day and if boiled down to a gill it contains poison enough to kill ten thousand eight hundred and sixty cats in the same space of time how can any one in his senses believe that any human being can take poison enough into the stomach in one day to kill one hundred and eighty-five rabbits and not suffer from it or that the uses of this poison can be continued from day to day without injury to health and life footnote it is not safe in regard to the action of a drug on animals to conclude that its effect will be the same on men for instance belladonna which is a deadly poison for men does not hurt rabbits professor wollaston End of footnote. The Americans appear the most energetic in their opposition to tea. An organization called the American Health and Temperance Association was formed in 1879 against tobacco, tea, and coffee, and according to one of its publications, has a membership of more than 10,000. It believes that more harm is done at the present time by tobacco, tea, and coffee than by all forms of alcoholic drinks combined and the teetotal pledge of the association requires abstinence from alcohol tobacco tea coffee and opium and all other narcotics and stimulants the good health publishing company at battle creek also issues tracts on the evil effects of the use of tea and coffee in which it is contended that these beverages waste vital force and injure digestion and the nervous system and that they irritate the temper and encourage gossip and scandal footnote there may be some truth in this statement i do not remember any mention of tea in witcherly but in congreve's double dealer act one scene one 
page 175a the scene is laid at lord touchwood's house and when careless inquires what has become of the ladies just after dinner mellifont replies why they are at the end of the gallery retired to tea and scandal according to their ancient custom buckle commonplace book end of footnote a new york magazine the herald of health is equally unsparing in its attacks on tea drinking the habit of tea drinking among women is one of the worst with which the hygienic physician has to contend very few women comparatively among civilized people are free from this vice for vice it is and as pronounced in its effects as either whiskey or tobacco it is a common custom among women who do hard manual labor to depend upon their cup of tea when they are tired to rest them as they say and thus the wearied nerves are lulled to sleep and the warning voice of nature hushed that the work may be done in the system taxed to the utmost that it is able to bear without complete exhaustion is it any wonder that women once broken down are so hard to restore to health again on women and children its worst consequences fall to the use of tea may be traced directly most of the prostrating nervous headaches with which so many women are afflicted also most of the neurologic and nervous affections of course children inherit the tendency to these and similar conditions and many a puny emaciated nervous little one is so because its mother was a tea drunkard and its whole system has been narcotized from the time its being began in england the opposition against tea has never taken an organized form but a good deal has been said and written on the question in eighteen sixty three or eighteen sixty four an anti-teapot society was formed but not against tea drinking it published a quarterly magazine called the anti-teapot review a correspondent of notes and queries stated that it was no enthusiastic wish to convert teetopers into anything else that called this body into existence it was rather a desire to oppose and to cast scorn on the narrowness of mind that seems to be encouraged in circles which by no very violent figure of speech may be described around a teapot in other words he says the ats was a combination against modern phariseeism and he quotes the following extract from number one of the review may eighteen sixty four as proving his point many persons either do not or pretend not to know what teapotism is in consequence of this ignorance or affectation we shall in a few words try to describe the leading features of the male and female teapot teapotism is a magnificent profession but a very sorry practice it professes a large-hearted liberality unbounded piety and the enunciation of two principles but its practice is that of a narrow-minded clique who condemn all who go not with them its piety consists in hero-worship and the circulation of illiterate tracts calculated to attract the strong and to confound the weak it is bounded on the north by the platform and meeting-house and on the south by scandal hassocks and tea whence the name of teapots etc the article ends with the assurance that the society will go on as it began it will remain strictly private and force the same rules and show that it is the enemy not of tea but of teapots the review professed to be edited by members of the universities and written only by members of the anti-teapot society of europe 
the qualifications for membership were to read the rules to fill up the form of admission to be had in english french german dutch and other languages to be nominated and seconded by any two officers the latter sick wholesome rule was introduced so that inquisitive people might be prevented from joining the society out of sheer curiosity the society appears to have made no converts and had but a very short existence tea parties have always been popular institutions among dissenting bodies and it is therefore not surprising to find ministers taking part in meetings advocating a reduction of the tea duties in eighteen forty eight the rev dr hume attending a meeting in liverpool for this purpose warmly defended tea on the ground of health and quoted with great satisfaction the evidence of dr sigmund given before the committee of the house of commons asked what had been the result of the medical inquiries into the effect of tea upon the human frame dr sigmund replied i think it is of great importance in the prevention of skin disease in comparison with any fluid we have been in the habit of drinking in former years and also in removing glandular affections i think scrofula has very much diminished in this country since tea has been so largely used to those classes of society who are not of laboring habits but who are of sedentary habits and exercise the mind a great deal tea is of great importance on the other hand a famous physician of our time takes an entirely opposite view of the question at the sanitary congress last year dr richardson delivered an address on felicity as a sanitary research and charged tea with being a promoter of infelicity as a rule he says all agents which stimulate that is to say relax the arterial tension and so allow the blood a freer course through the organs promote for a time felicity but in the reaction leave depression the alkaloid in tea theme has this effect it causes a short and slight felicity it causes in a large number of persons a long and severe and even painful sadness there are many who never knew a day of felicity owing to this one destroying cause in our poorer districts amongst the poor women of our industrial populations our spinning our stock weaving women the misery incident to their lot is often doubled by this one agent the dean of bangor is the latest clerical opponent of tea-drinking speaking at a meeting held to further the establishment of courses of instruction in practical cookery in the elementary schools if he had his own way there would be much less tea-drinking among people of all classes oatmeal and milk produced strong hearty good-tempered men and women whereas excessive tea-drinking created a generation of nervous discontented people who were forever complaining of the existing order of the universe scolding their neighbors and sighing after the impossible good cooking would he firmly believed enable them to take far higher and more correct views of existence in fact he suspected that too much tea-drinking by destroying the calmness of the nerves was acting as a dangerous revolutionary force among us tea-drinking renewed three or four times a day made men and women feel weak and the result was that the tea-kettle went before the gin-bottle and the physical and nervous weakness that had its origin in the bad cookery of an ignorant wife ended in ruin intemperance and disease 
the worthy dean's denunciation of tea-drinking formed the subject of numerous leading articles in the press followed by letters from correspondents several of whom referred to the difficulty of finding any satisfactory substitute for the fragrant and refreshing beverage which during the present century has come to be regarded almost as a necessary of life in english homes both rich and poor one gentleman pathetically describes his feelings on being presented one afternoon in a drawing-room where he had been in the habit of being served with at least three cups of supernatural tea with a glass brimful of a dim opaque grayish-white liquid which turned out to be cold barley water admitting that tea-drinking leads to indigestion the st james gazette points out that tea-drinking is still in itself better than drunkenness and there is always a chance that the first factor in the fatal series may not lead to the second nor the second to the third what numbers of persons of both sexes every one must know who drink tea three times a day morning afternoon and evening without ever getting drunk at all every one again must have met with cases in which men have brought themselves to utter grief through the abuse of spirituous liquors but who ever heard of a man ruining himself or his family through excessive indulgence in tea the confirmed tea-drinker never commits murder in his cups never even goes home in a frantic condition to beat his wife it is certain on the other hand that tea drunken in moderate quantities does not good but harm and it is very desirable that both in drinking and eating people should on all occasions be temperate it is difficult however to get through existence without stimulants of some kind and tea is probably as little injurious as any yet discovered life without stimulants as a modern philosopher has remarked would be a dreary waste reviewing the discussion the lancet doubted whether the abuse of tea-drinking is prevalent in the country and maintained that hard-worked minds and fatigued bodies are the better for some gentle stimulant that rouses into activity the nerves and which ministers to animal life and comfort the editor concluded that the worthy dean's conclusions are drawn from insufficient premises which in their turn can scarcely be regarded as scientific truth the latest medical contribution to the literature of the question is a lecture on coffee and tea by dr poor vice-chairman of the council of the parks museum given at the parks museum on the sixth of december eighteen eighty three he thus describes the good and bad effects of these luxuries the peculiar effects of tea and coffee are due to the alkaloid these effects are of a refreshing character the circulation of the blood is increased the elimination of c o two by the lungs is heightened the reflex excitability of the nerve centres is roused thereby increasing the impressionability of the consumer and great wakefulness results it also excites the peristalsis of the intestines tea and coffee then are stimulants they rouse the tissues to increased action make us insensible to fatigue and enable us to do more work than we otherwise could the differences between these stimulants and alcoholic stimulants are worth 
noticing. Tea and coffee keep us awake and attentive, and those who have taken either for the purposes of midnight study will know how under their influence the receptive powers of the brain seem to be at its maximum. They cause no mental elevation and do not rouse the imaginative faculties as a glass of wine seems to do. They enable a man to work and often rob him of sleep and do not, like a glass of wine, tend to increase the power of sleep after the work has been accomplished. The tannic acid in tea is doubtless one of the causes why it is a drink so attractive. It is slightly astringent and clean in the mouth and does not cloy the palate, an expression for which I can find no scientific equivalent. Tannic acid is also one of the dangers and drawbacks of tea. It is largely present in the common teas used by the poor. Excessive tea drinkers are more common than excessive coffee drinkers because the heavier coffee more easily produces satiety than the lighter tea. And it is not possible for ordinary stomachs to tolerate more than a certain amount of coffee, even when pure, and only a very small amount of the thick, sweet, adulterated stuff which too often passes for coffee in this country. Tea is more of a pure beverage than coffee, has less dietetic value, and is less stimulating. It is more capable of being used as a pure luxury. It is indeed the tobacco of women, but its great astringency is one reason which makes its excessive use highly undesirable. The question of the action of tea, as well as of tobacco and other stimulants, as occupy the attention of Professor Montegaza, an Italian physiologist of high repute. This eminent scholar places tea amongst the nervous foods, and his enthusiasm for it is unbounded. He credits it with the power of dispelling weariness and lessening the annoyances of life. He considers it the greatest friend to the man of letters, enabling him to work without fatigue, an aid to the conversation, rendering it pleasant and easy. His own experience of tea is that it revives drooping intellectual activity, and he regards it as the best stimulus to exertion. Without its aid, he says, I should be idle. His general conclusions are that it is beneficial to adults, but injurious to children, and he pronounces it one of the greatest blessings of providence. Whatever may be urged in favor of tea, it is undeniable that excess is injurious and that children would be better without it. It contains no strength and therefore ought to be forbidden to the young. In an inquiry into the sickly condition of the children in many of the cotton factories of Lancashire, Dr. Ferguson of Bolton found that children between 13 and 16 years of age who had been brought up on tea or coffee increased in weight only about four pounds a year while those fed on milk increased at the rate of about fifteen pounds a year for this evil the blame rests entirely upon the mothers who exceed the bounds of moderation in the use of tea though doctors differ widely in their views of the action of tea they all agree that few things are more certain to produce flatulence in the overworked female than this beverage flatulence in the overworked female than this beverage their views are shared by other authorities miss barnett speaking at the national health society's exhibition last year said 
i am constantly preaching against tea as it is taken by the vast majority of the working women of england they drink it at every meal and suffer from indigestion before they come to middle age they try to get the blackest fluid out of the tea and in doing so draw out the tannin which though it has its virtues acts upon the coats of the stomach and produces indigestion by middle life but the argument that tea shortens the life of every man who drinks it is absurd it is said remarked william howitt that mithridates could live and flourish on poisons and if it is true that tea or coffee is a poison so do most of us william hutton the shrewd and humorous author of the histories of birmingham and derby and also of a life of himself scarcely inferior to that of franklin in lessons on life wisdom said that he had been told that coffee was a slow poison and he added that he had found it very slow for he had drunk it more than sixty years without any ill effect my experience of tea as well as coffee added howitt has been the same howitt's experience is the experience of tens of thousands of people the moral in this as in other matters is that people must judge for themselves whether tea is injurious or beneficial as dr poor candidly admits a properly controlled appetite or instinct is as safe a guide in the matters of diet as a physiologist or a moralist End of chapter seven